Welcome back to the Doggy Juice Pod, changing the way you think as a sports better. This is episode number 83, Thursday, May 14th, 2020, and today, ladies and gentlemen, is a milestone day. It has officially been two years to the day since the Supreme Court of the United States struck down the Professional and Amateur Sports Protection Act, also known as PASPA, the law that prevented states other than Nevada from offering legalized sports betting. It was a landmark case, didn't really deal much with the issue of sports betting on its face, but rather the issue of federalism, and that issue was essentially whether or not states had the right to decide if they want to allow legalized, regulated sports gambling within their borders. And the Supreme Court ruled by a majority decision, wisely, I might add, that the existing PASPA law at the time um, that was enacted in the early 1990s, that that did indeed run afoul of the Constitution. It's one of those days where you don't forget where you were when you heard the news, but the writing was on the wall that there was a strong chance that PASPA would be overturned even before two years ago, and the mere fact that the Supreme Court decided to even hear the case in the first place, uh, the fall before, that was a huge deal. And the writing was pretty much on the wall during that winter and the spring at the beginning of 2018 that there was a very strong chance that we would see the death of PASPA. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. And here we are. So where are we now? Well, ESPN's David Purdom created an interesting Twitter poll last night asking, has the new U.S. sports betting market exceeded or failed to meet your expectations? And there were three options. Number one, exceeded. Number two, failed to meet. And number three, about what I thought. And the answers were very mixed. We saw 28% respond with exceeded, 37% respond failed to meet, and 35% respond about what I thought. And the final answer was what I answered, about what I thought. But as a whole, there have been aspects of the sports betting industry that have exceeded my expectations over the past two years, but also some that have failed to meet my expectations. So that's what this podcast is going to be about. I'm going to talk about that, and then I'm going to dive into some quick takes on the release of the NFL schedule. So Last year, I did a one-year post-PASPA pod around this time, and it's interesting to go back and hear it. There was certainly a lot of optimism then, and, and why not? Obviously, more states have legalized it in the first two years than, than a lot of people thought, I think, including right here in my home state of Illinois. We got it done last year. And as of today, you can legally bet in 18 states. That's almost a third of the U.S. states. And that also comes with the caveat that right now, you know, you can't physically make a wager in some of those states that have launched because they don't offer mobile wagering yet and or don't have their physical retail brick-and-mortar shops open, uh, like here in Illinois. Can't wager right now because of the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, but 18 states have gone live with sports betting, which is about as good as I could have expected if you asked me two years ago uh, where I think we'd be today. And those 18 states are Nevada, Delaware, New Jersey, Mississippi, West Virginia, New Mexico, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, Arkansas, New York State, Iowa, Oregon, Indiana, New Hampshire, Illinois, Michigan, Montana, and Colorado. So that's 18 that are live, but 23 jurisdictions, 22 states and Washington, D.C., have actually legalized it with more on the way, no doubt. So those four states and D.C., are ready to rock but haven't launched yet. And those four states are Tennessee, North Carolina, Washington State, and Virginia. And for the remaining 28 states, 
almost all of them are exploring legalization efforts related to sports betting. The only jurisdiction that is almost a surefire now is Utah, just because the gambling prohibitions are actually explicitly written, written into the state law. And as of now, there's no evidence that uh, obviously they're going to even explore looking to change that. And there's also no evidence that the states of Wisconsin and Idaho have even looked into any legalization, at least from what I've read and, and heard of. But the rest of the states, the states have, and they have had some sort of legalization activity going on, some sort of push. Uh, there's a lot of great legalization trackers out there. I know Action Network has a good one run by Ravel. Uh, ESPN has one too, but I always recommend heading over to Legal Sports Report for any information related to state-by-state -state legalization just because those guys are on top of their shit. Um, it's incredibly important to note and for all of you to understand that each state is completely its own separate entity when it comes to sports betting, at least until the Wire Act is dealt with. Um, and the legalized sports betting landscape varies wildly from state to state. Not every state has okayed mobile wagering. In some states you can wager on your phones, but only on casino properties or only on the premises. Um, others allow a very robust mobile betting market. Uh, the tax structures vary significantly from state to state, and the marketplace for us, the consumers, the bettors, also varies wildly from state to state. So, which states have gotten it right? Obviously, Nevada has been doing this for decades and has done a great job of figuring out what works. I mean, that's what I was harping on when uh, two years ago when this was first, when PASPA was overturned, that states should be looking at the Nevada model first just because it makes sense. They've been doing this for decades. You might want to turn to someone with some experience when you're entering a new space. Um, but Nevada is also without, not without its faults. Also, um, in-person mobile reg registration is still required there. So, you know, it's not perfect there, but early on, it looks like New Jersey and Colorado are easily the best uh, state laws for sports betting. And it's not even that close uh, for the new states. Both feature reasonable tax rates, both allow um, reasonable licensing fees, plenty of room for a multitude of operators will be given room to grow in those states too, due to those, you know, the less smaller tax rates and smaller licensing fees. And this should foster innovation and competitive prices for us, the consumers, the betters. And that's what matters to us, obviously, everybody listening to this podcast. And we'll in turn reward them for giving, you know, for their good pricing by betting more into their markets with more money. And, and that's ultimately going to lead to more taxpayer dollars for the state. It's not going to happen right away, but that model, I am convinced, is the right model. Um, and it, it works for everybody. There's, there's a space for everybody here. So look for those two states in particular to thrive moving forward. Um, New Jersey and Colorado. I mean, New Jersey already has been there. Uh, obviously, New Jersey was the reason why PASPA was overturned in the first place. And um, you can look at the, the betting numbers by month for New Jersey before the pandemic hit. And you can see how, how successful they've been. But uh, look for them to those two states to thrive moving forward. And any state that, that allows mobile wagering to flourish uh, should or those should flourish as well, those states, and easy access to that mobile wagering. So which states are completely fucking this up so far? Well, we just saw, we've seen some really good examples, and I guess bad examples is the better way to put it. But Montana, they just opened up recently, and that's an absolute mess there. And D.C., Washington, D.C., that's going to be a train wreck when it does open up. Both of those only allow one operator interlot to run the entire sports betting operation. And you saw when Montana opened up, those clowns were offering like absolutely absurd vig on each side of of, uh, of a particular bet in their marketplace and got completely eviscerated 
uh, on Twitter last week when that happened, and it's it's like they think the people are that stupid. And and New Hampshire is also terrible because it gives exclusivity to, to DraftKings. Only having one book there is certainly going to keep the black market thriving and citizens using offshore sites in that state. So clearly, after seeing the first two years here, there are clearly some incredibly uneducated state lawmakers who are in charge of some of these state laws, you know, those states I just mentioned. They'll learn eventually. So look for those states in particular, and those ones I just mentioned in particular to change uh, down the road when they fully understand the errors of their ways. So some states are showing lots of promise. Um, Indiana immediately comes to mind, a very reasonable tax rate, mobile wagering, and a gaming commission that has shown it is willing to adapt with the times and be flexible. I'm also hopeful that Iowa will do away with its in-person registration requirement soon because Iowa also has a very reasonable licensing and tax rate. As for Illinois, um, here where I live in Chicago, it was depressing how it all had to be cut short the week it was launched. Sports betting launched on March 9th, that Monday. It seems like ages ago when I was watching the ribbon-cutting ceremony at Rivers Casino. I actually still have college hoops tickets that I still have to cash from that day, and obviously we know that week everything came crashing down due to the, to the uh, coronavirus. So unfortunately, Illinois had to close their doors and stuff, but also unfortunately... Illinois, the sports betting law is not one of the good ones. At the same time, it does open the door for uh, mobile wagering when things do get back to normal, and I think there's plenty of room and time to modify the Illinois law and tweak it moving forward. So there is a wide spectrum right now of some states who look like they have come close to figuring it out, and unfortunately some others um, who are making a, a complete mess of it. But there's definitely hope for the future, and the truth of the matter is we have also seen a major European influence um, entering the American space here since PASPA was overturned two years ago. We've seen some major European gaming companies come across the pond and be a part of that massive, you know, the massive land grab going on state by state. And that has not been ideal for the serious sports better out there who's hoping to get down uh, in a legal regulated uh, environment. The European model limits sharp action uh, or kick completely kicks sharp money out entirely. Uh, and you're seeing that taking place with the DraftKings and the FanDuels of the world and obviously William Hill. Everybody knows some, uh, William Hill's, um, their reputation. And, and you see tons of bonuses in these companies because customer acquisition is the priority right now. They're okay with losing money in the short term to get that customer base. And it also makes sense for some of these companies with their with DFS. I mean, their DFS, the legal age to, to participate, um, is 18. And you see... They're acquiring all that, that, that customer base at age 18 for DFS, the DraftKings and FanDuel's of the world, and they're molding them. And then when they turn 21, they can gamble on those sites. So that's that's the way they're playing it, um, customer acquisition. But they're also criminally limiting bets. Like just today, Captain Jack Andrews, who you should be following if you're not, uh, for sports betting information on the Twitter space, but he tweeted out a picture today. DraftKings is apparently offering everyone $5.14 in free play today in honor of the anniversary, but they limited Captain Jack to a $1.39 wager when he tried to use the $5.14 to make a bet. It's pretty ridiculous, right? And contrast that with an operator like Circus Sports out of Nevada who's trying to do it the right way by following the old Pinnacle model. And uh, in that model, it's the old Pinnacle offshore model that flourished uh, for years. And in that model, you offer more competitive pricing and higher limits. Here comes the coppers. Sorry for this. Um, but higher limits, more competitive pricing, 
welcoming in sharp action and using that money to balance the line. That's the pinnacle way, the pinnacle model. It, it creates more liquidity, um, a lot more money in the marketplace, and a sharper line as a result. And in my opinion, this is the optimal way of doing things. This was before my time, uh, the pinnacle model, before my time of betting seriously, but I've always heard stories about how perfect the pinnacle and Chris models were because they allowed for a robust marketplace that accepted all action from sharps and squares alike. And Circa's goal is to emulate that. So as bettors, you should all be looking uh, forward to them expanding into more states, Circa Sportsbook. They got a license in Colorado. So if you're there, if you're in Nevada, when this COVID pandemic ends uh, and you want to make a wager, chances are you're going to find your best odds over at Circa. And there's no doubt that they'll have the lowest hold percentage of all the books in your state. But back to the Wire Act. In reality... The Wire Act is inhibiting the true potential of the legalized American sports betting space and it's just by default in its nature, the very nature of the Wire Act. And in a nutshell, in layman's terms, the Wire Act pro- prohibits betting across state lines. So there's no pooling together in multiple states. And last week, I did the weekly 20 questions during quarantine series uh, for Bet Chicago and Bet Indiana News. Be sure to check that out. Uh, our managing editor, Marcus Donato, came up with the idea. And we've been interviewing uh, industry, sports betting industry heavyweights on a weekly basis since we started. And we've brought on a lot of big names. And um, I brought on uh, Daniel Wallach uh, last week for, for the piece, for the, for the feature. And he's a prominent sports betting attorney. And he's the co-founder of the University of New Hampshire Sports Wagering and Integrity Program, um, where I was part of the inaugural class uh, for that last year. And he said, uh, Wallach said that he thinks the Wire Act isn't close to, to being struck down anytime soon. And you can imagine that this COVID-19 pandemic may speed that process up, but in reality, um, it's just it's too hard to say right now. And, and word on the street, it's you know, not getting too much legs. And in my opinion, it's an outdated law anyway, from the early 1960s that didn't have the present-day internet era in mind, and it must be done away with. So once that does happen, I think the sky's the limit for legalized sports betting here in America, bigger markets, exchanges, I mean, the whole shebang. Exchanges will be a huge thing here. Um, I think it would be huge for us, the consumer. Uh, Exchange especially here would be so massive, and I look forward to that day whenever it comes, even if it's 10 to 20 years from now. I think uh, the potential is definitely there, obviously. But in the meantime, the offshore markets, the corner bookies, your black market, are still thriving today in America. That was never going to go away right away to begin with, but it's also not going to be going away anytime soon, no matter what. And that's a lot of that's because just in general, interest in sports betting is skyrocketing across the board, especially as the veil is lifted over it and you know leagues are starting to embrace it as well complete 180 for some of them and as new companies enter the space new technology comes out uh, with the woodwork there's going to be so many new betting opportunities out there and live betting is absolutely going to be the way of the future it's already more popular than uh, than pregame wagering across the pond so in reality the expansion of legalized regulated betting is better for monitoring game integrity so that's a good reason for the leagues to get behind it, obviously. Uh, the more bets that are above board and that you can monitor and track, the more we can monitor the betting activity and look for irregularities in betting patterns. And so that's like one of the nice things about it. But there are a lot of, uh, a lot of big issues moving forward. The big one moving forward is the issue of data ownership, um, specifically athlete biometric data, looking 
you know, for that one, I mean, you should all be looking for that one to be battled out for a while. And um, also leagues with their hands in the cookie jar, wanting a piece of the pie. That's been a big issue. You know, we've seen some states mess around with, you know, Illinois included with their actual state law, carving out a potential for leagues to get a piece of the action. And you've seen a complete shift uh, in what is coming out of the NFL's mouth here. I mean, you look back at the NFL, they were, they were punishing guys for hosting a fantasy football convention in Vegas a few years ago. Now there's a, a football team in Vegas and, and uh, they're in bed with, uh, with sports betting now too. So for me personally, my life has changed quite a bit two years ago. I, I was preparing for the PASPA overturn and shortly afterwards decided to start this podcast at the end of that summer. And I eventually moved into the sports betting space entirely uh, career-wise. I'm trying to make a career path out of it now. And uh, it's really exciting uh, to me uh, to be involved in this new and exciting industry, both from a legal perspective and a betting perspective. And I'm right where I want to be, that's for sure. And I can't wait to see what's to come. The COVID-19 pandemic I mean, obviously, that's going to undoubtedly have a lasting impact on legalized sports betting here in America and, and how it develops. It's no doubt slowing down the legalization efforts in some states that would normally be going live this fall or you know early next year. Um, but at the same time, it could definitely be leading states to be more aggressive in allowing mobile wagering and easy access to mobile wagering. They're seeing that people want to be able to bet from their couches. And obviously, right now, people have to be on their couches. So adjustments have to be made. But bettors need a voice, and this is going to be very important moving forward, especially as more states legalize. And I know that professional bettors Rufus Peabody and, and Captain Jack Andrews, they're leading efforts for the American Betters Coalition. So be sure to give them a follow. You follow them on Twitter and be on the lookout for the American Betters Coalition once uh, for that to, to emerge uh, once the pandemic comes to an end. So where do I think things go from here, and where do I hope things go from here? I mean, unfortunately, those are probably two different things. Obviously, I want that exchange and, and a more robust environment to knock down this, uh, the Wire Act and just less inhibitions on, on operators in general and foster more innovation, especially right now since it's the, the infancy stage. But what I do think is going to happen is obviously we're in the middle of this COVID pandemic, and everyone's dealing with it and and sports we we don't know exactly when major sports here in the u.s are coming back i mean obviously the rumors change day by day but i think that this will make a push for more uh, easing of mobile wagering uh, prohibitions or restrictions i think it's going to be easier once the dust settles to wager from your couch and maybe even not even have to go register in person to do so i'd like to see states do that and really embrace the online environment and and everything that that comes with it and and doing away with the more old age you know just only brick and mortar style wagering so i think we'll see a push you know some something result from that obviously that's that's better for the betters here but it's hard to say i mean some states like i said earlier are not doing this right at all it's going to take them a few years they almost you know they take two steps back before they could take one step forward um but at the same time there are some good models out there, some states that are doing it right, and those states are going to be the ones bringing in the most state revenue. And I think the states that are doing it wrong, once they see that over time, it's going to cause them to change. So very hopeful that this is going to be made right in the long term. And all we can do is just educate people, and especially bettors, because bettors do need a voice. And I think as the American betting public gets more educated and, and smarter and demands more um, price equality and uh, and becomes more price sensitive, 
I think they, you know, the good changes will come. Changes will come for the better for us betters. <laughs> better, better. All right, let's finish this up by talking about some football. NFL 2020 schedules were released last week, and we have seen season win totals and futures odds uh, shift as a result. Warren Sharp's strength of schedule work is the best in the business, so anyone out there doing any NFL preseason work would be making a mistake not to look at his strength of schedule data. It's the best out there. And according to Warren Sharp's work, the Colts have the easiest strength of schedule this season, and it's not even that close. And uh, the toughest one is the Atlanta Falcons. And you have to understand that the main thing with his season win total work is, you know, you hear the schedule come out and the media is lazy and they just look at win-loss records from the previous season and, and assume that, you know, that's your strength of schedule based off the combined wins and losses of your opponents the next season. And that is very flawed thinking uh, for a lot of reasons. So I encourage you to look at Warren Sharp's work and uh, before going over your strength of schedule work yourselves. But like I said, the Colts' easiest, Falcons' the hardest. Um, there's other things that popped up, some other interesting things that popped up when I was going over some of the work he's done. The Bears don't have a very difficult schedule this year. That's it's the sixth easiest, to be exact. The Raiders, in their first year in Vegas, have a ridiculously difficult schedule early on, but then it eases up mightily towards the end of the season, so that's something to keep in mind. And also, perhaps the most interesting is the Browns. And the Browns played the 10th toughest schedule last season, but they play the third easiest schedule this season. That's the largest move uh, from hardest to easiest over this offseason. And the Browns, obviously, we all know they have the new coaching staff. They brought in some person heavier, bigger, bigger players uh, for their front line to protect Baker Mayfield. They have a new fullback they drafted, new tight end, new lineman. looks like they want to really... Um, really prioritize uh, protecting Baker Mayfield. And he functions better, obviously, like most quarterbacks do with more time in the pocket, but him especially, given his size, uh, is, is not not too big. And we were against Cleveland here on the podcast last year in the season, to start the season, but I'm actually looking to play on them this year. I think the market's down, and obviously you know, the schedule is pretty easy, and this is not like a secret to anybody like that, but I really like the regime change there, and it's almost like, the market's down on them as much as they were up on them last year. And I like that's what I like. I like to buy low and sell high, obviously. Who doesn't? So I'm looking to play that season win total over. I look to actually to get down some of that um, eight with less juice. Um, or Sorry, a little more juice on the eight. It looks like it's eight and a half now. I think it's probably good to play at eight and a half, just given that schedule and everything. But another thing to note is they play the number one uh, schedule of toughest defenses last year and number three in pass defenses and this year according to Warren Sharp they're playing the number one easiest schedule of opposing pass defenses and the teams that were worst in defending um, explosive passes so I think the new coaching staff can really turn this around for Baker and the Browns and I think it's time to buy on Baker there's a very high ceiling this year and maybe even a, a fantasy football target so if you're in one of my leagues my fantasy football leagues this year I did not just tell you that all right, that's going to do it for this episode of the Doggy Juice Podcast. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Doggy Juice. I'll be back soon with more NFL analysis and some NFL stuff. I'm looking to bring on some guests as we enter the summertime period. Hopefully, we'll have some good news on the return of sports in the meantime. Otherwise, enjoy the restart of the Bundesliga this Saturday. And be sure to check out Bet Chicago and Bet Indiana News for your latest sports betting news and coverage. 
that 20 questions during quarantine series by Marcus Danido has been fantastic. Yesterday, he brought on uh, Gil Alexander from VEASAN, who, in my opinion, is one of the most knowledgeable figures in the sports betting industry. So definitely check that one out and check out the whole series. It's, it's really awesome and get some good insight into what some major people in the sports betting industry are doing uh, with their, their time off for, quote-unquote, extra time during quarantine. All right, good luck on your bets and stay safe out there. I'll be back soon with some more quick hitters and updates. Doggy Juice out. <laughs>